a Podcast One production. I've been coming on the Today Show to talk all things health and fitness for close to a decade. And I can distinctly remember when this very good-looking, charismatic young performer kept making regular appearances, ending up eventually taking the helm with Sonia Kruger when the show became Today Extra. Yes, I'm talking about David Campbell. It was great to get to know him over the months as we swapped newborn baby stories. I think he just had Leo at the time and then not long after his twins, Betty and Billy. I've always wondered how he manages to juggle it all. Hours of live TV every day, an amazing musical career, a beautiful relationship with his wife and three kids, all while being an all-round top bloke. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. You'll know David Campbell, or DC, from the Today Show. And if you're lucky, you may have seen him perform in the musical Dream Lover. Well, now this super talented, intelligent, insanely kind man can add author to his belt. He's released his first children's book called Stupid Carrots about cheeky Betty the Bunny who has decided she no longer likes carrots. Yep, I think we can all relate to that. Having had lots of off-air chats with David about kids, family and health, I really wanted to get his perspective on parenthood, the challenges of getting our kids to eat more veggies and also some of the personal struggles that he's encountered in his very full life. DC, welcome to Healthy Her. Hey, Mills, good to see you. It's actually really nice to have you in the hot seat today and me to be asking the questions for once. Well, you really butted me up with that intro. So, you know, know, I'm I'm really relaxed now, so I'm vulnerable. Oh, and, you know, having you in that beautiful Hawaiian shirt is just putting me in a great mood. I just thought, you know, spice things up. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Now tell me, Stupid Carrots, great title. Where did it come from? When Betty was about three and a half, um, we were having like a party. Remember those? Yes. And people were at our house. Remember that? And uh, she was sort of wandering around and she wanted something and we said, no, you can't do that. And uh, she sort of mumbled her way away and just went, stupid carrots. And we're like, was that a swear but not a swear? And she did it a few more times and we had to say, what are you saying? She goes, stupid carrots. <gasps> oh, the like, sass. I'm like, but. Who too? I guess we just let it let it go. And Scholastic, who's this amazing Australian company, reached out to me and they said, look, we want to know if you want to write a kid's book. And I thought, well, that's a good idea, but I don't have any ideas. But the only idea I had was the title Stupid Carrots. Oh, that's amazing. Most people, the title is the hardest thing to come up with a book. You actually had it the flip side. Well, yeah. And, and that was the hard part was like, well, what does that mean? So I sort of said, well, I've got this idea of like, you know, Betty the bunny and uh, she thinks carrots are stupid and the dilemma is how do we get her to eat carrots because it's dinner time. And then I was a really big fan of, um, I've done a lot of therapy over the years. I've paid for a lot of boats yeah, for, for therapists. Yeah, I can imagine, <laughs> yes. Uh, and we all. <laughs> we all. And I remember when I first got into it, which was in the early 90s, I also saw the movie Lenny, which is the Dustin Hoffman film on Lenny Bruce, the great 60s comedian. Right. And he did this piece on Kubler-Ross's breakdown of grief, which is bargaining, depression, uh, anger, acceptance. There's another it's one like too. the five stages of grief. The five of stages grief. of grief. Yeah. And I always thought that was a funny bit. And then, you know, you go through that with different stages of what you're working through. And, and then when you have a toddler, you realise that that witching hour, you know, before dinner time, where they're hungry but they're not allowed to snack, they're going through the five stages of hanger. 
So they're like, oh, God, can't we just have, you know, chops? And like, no, you can't have chops. This. You're going to have dinner. And then they'll, they'll go to another parent and they'll try and play one of them. Oh, Dad, they won't let, Mom won't let me have this. And it's like, well, no, dinner's dinner and that's what you're going to eat. But in her dilemma is she wants to eat anything but carrots. Right. And the parents are like, we're rabbits. We, you had carrots for lunch. You love carrots. This is what we do. And just her stages of going through to acceptance, having a dinner, and going, oh, that was delicious. I'd like, I love, I love carrots. I've never said I didn't. You know how kids and can be. It is so frustrating when that happens. It's like you ate it yesterday. What is different about it today? Yeah. It must be hard for you who, as a family, you've all transitioned to vegan or do the kids still have a little no, bit? No, no, just my wife and I have uh, fully transitioned. Right. Um, but the kids have a lot of veggies and they have a lot of fake meats because okay. we... We supplement with a lot of fake meats as well for bolognese. When you or, say fake meat, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about that. Like uh, your pulses or anything that's been converted into, you know. I'm t- talking about the new stuff, the fake minces. Oh, you are yeah, using I am. I'm talking the, about that new, the new fantastic. stuff, like your sausages that, uh, you know, yeah. have fake you know, plant-based products in them or high soy protein products in yes. them. So they'll eat that maybe, you know, four or five times a week. And then burger night, they have burgers they have chicken in there, you know, pad CUs or whatever. We get takeaway Thai. But, yep. And maybe once a month we might cook them a roast chook or something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Um, they'll have a ham sandwich. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to educate them on you know, animal welfare and, and yep. what it means to, you know, if you're going to do this, what, what you're eating, and let them make their own decisions as opposed to this is a religion and we're a cult now. Um, we kind of hate that. We, I've always called myself a bogan vegan. Because I, I, when I started doing this, I, how I got into it was, was how am I going to eat my favourite junk food and be vegan at the same time? Well, what was the very first trigger that made you decide to go down the path? Uh, doing the 5-2 diet. So we would speak a lot on, this, yeah. on today. Yeah, I kind of feel like I was there as you were transitioning and yeah. experimenting. I remember we'd have a lot of off-air chats about it. We would, and I was really fascinated by the multiple, and I'd never known there were so many diets. Diets, I know. It's crazy. It was crazy. And, you know, being a, a you know almost a female-centric show for a while there before we got more newsy, we were downloading a lot of that information and I was sort of trying to get my head around it. And you were always coming back to the main argument that you would always say, up your fruits and vegetables and make sure that's really good and at yep. best do Mediterranean. Yep. was always the sort of yeah, Mediterranean, it always falls back. still does almost 10 years later. I just recommended that to my dad. So he was like, should I go vegan? I'm like, just go Mediterranean. You know, you don't need to be so extreme. But with that, then I, we interviewed Michael Mosley. And it was the first time in any of that dietary stuff that I went, hey, that's a good one. That resonates in my lizard brain somewhere that we shouldn't be over snacking and doing that, that that's wrong. Is he's on the 5-2 diet? Yeah. Yep. And he said to me off air, hey, be careful when you do this because your taste might change. And I was like, sure, Mosley, give me a break. And it slowly did. And then I, I got to doing Dream Lover, which I think you mentioned in the intro, and Bobby was, Bobby Darren, who's the title character of that, he was sick for most of his life with a heart condition, which right. sort of gave him a, a real a real sense of like doing as much as he could in the short amount of time he thought he could die at any minute. But he also looked quite skinny on stage, so suits would hang off him. Right. I thought, how am I going to get that, do eight shows a week, do the Today Show stuff that I had to do as well, and not get sick? 
And a lot of research was getting me into like plant-based. There was a lot of plant-based athletes at the time. You know, Djokovic was sort of had come out. And so I thought, well, that might be a sustainable way of doing it. So I'll just try it out and see how I feel. It felt good. And then about, you know, then Lisa joined me a couple of months later. And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany of like, I'm eating a sentient being if I eat an animal. Oh, I can't do that anymore. And then it was easy. Isn't that amazing? And I feel like you were almost an early adopter. Like this was before some of those quite dramatic documentaries came out and yeah. before there was a lot more publicity about it. But you've chosen not to be super vocal about it. I, I love I love Lisa's comment that you're now the most punchable man in Australia when you... Right, but, yeah, because I'm sober and vegan. And it's just like, she's like, could you be any less relatable for someone who's on TV? <laughs> no, but I but, love that because I think it's really important. People, uh, th- there are, as you mentioned, so many diets out there. You don't want to feel like you're polarising people because, yeah. uh, and, you know, vegan is one style, but there is also being plant-based and maybe have the, the occasional roast chore that's or right. something like that. So I think that that's what I'm loving and I'm seeing a lot more of these days is people are being a bit more flexitarian. Yeah, I mean, doing 80% vegan and being Mediterranean on the weekends or if you do go to a restaurant, you eat fish or seafood, that's better for the environment and, as you would know, long-term better for your own health than just eating meat two or three times a day. So what would some of your tips be for mums or families who are thinking of upping their fruits and veggies and just slowly moving towards a more plant-based or maybe just a plant-first diet? Uh, I think the, the best way of doing it, if you do have young kids, it's the Betty Bunny syndrome, is that actually pushing through the fact that they they push back at you, which we didn't do with Leo as much. Leo does not have a sweet tooth. so um, He's your oldest. He's my oldest, yeah. He's 10 and a half and he is very fruit adverse. So I've finally in the last year got him onto apples, but even as a young boy, as a baby, as a toddler, he didn't have a sweet tooth. Isn't like, that interesting? He doesn't even really eat. He might yep. have ice cream. Yeah. He might have chocolate, but he's not like fanging for it. Whereas Betty's got a huge sweet tooth. And But Betty and Billy also love fruit and they love vegetables. But Leo always ate his vegetables. He loved broccoli, he loved carrots, he loves capsicum, he loves all that sort of stuff. So you find the things they like and you just make it a routine, which is the best thing to do. So their favourite dishes, it's it, you have to be part of it. And then really it's like anything, it's enforcing it. You know, like even every once in a while with our kids, like I don't want to eat my broccoli. He's like, eat your broccoli. You're not, you're not you're, having dessert without you're not having it. Anything you're, else until yeah. you, no, you're not leaving the table until you eat broccoli. I don't care if you don't finish your rice or your, your chicken, but eat your broccoli and then you can leave. So you're just sort of like making them go like it's a habit. And that we always put in crunch and sip, there's always a fruit or vegetable. And that I mean, most parents are doing this now. I think compared to our generation. Yeah. I think parents are doing great with this. I really do. I think parents are so much more attuned to crunch and sip. You've got to have something in there. Yeah, and look, the statistics are showing it too. Like obesity levels amongst kids has actually stabilised since 2014. Yeah. And I think that's really encouraging. I think that we're all getting the healthy message, but you are so right. Kids go through the five stages of grief and I feel like as a parent we just have to hang on for dear life to let them go through that and then hopefully the next time the battle won't be so hard. I mean, you don't want them to melt down. It it can't be an issue, but you just – I think there's a great – I mean, I was brought up by my grandmother, uh, but – there's a great thing of just like, that's a hard no. And when a kid knows they can't get past that wall of no, it doesn't have to be like a no, it's just like, no, eat your vegetables. And then you move on. The, if you don't make a big deal of it, they're like, oh, just eat this really quickly and then I'll go 
play video games or whatever. Yeah, I like that idea of not making it a big deal. Yeah. If you make it a big deal, kids will be like, this is the energy. This is the energy I'll go to every time and I can make a drama out of this. And trust me, I have dramatic kids. I try to avoid that energy a lot. Well, the performance gene does run through your family. You've had, I must say, a bit of a tumultuous upbringing. When you look back, your dad, Jimmy Barnes, Mm -hmm. left when you were really young. He, He was never in my life. Never, from the very beginning. No, no, no. He was 16. Him and my mother were 16 when they got pregnant, 17 when I was born. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Those are the days. So you were raised by your grandmother, Mm -hmm. who you thought was your Mm mum, until one day you discovered that your sister was actually your mum and your mother was your grandmother. Which is the same story as Bobby Darren. No way. And Jack Nicholson. So it's actually more common than you would think, and I think it's more common... Uh, then we give it credit for because yeah. of we used to, I guess, sisters would go away to the country for nine months and come yeah. back and there'd be a new cousin. You know, there was this sort of game that we played when we weren't as uh, openly therapied, when we didn't talk about our problems, when we you know, kept a stiff upper lip and yeah. tried to keep the family unit closed off, that this is actually not as uncommon as you think. How do you think that upbringing has shaped the way you parent and coming into being a father? How has that impacted you? A lot. A lot. I think about it constantly. It's it's really at the forefront of my mind. I'm very much a mindful parent. I don't really go for um, all of the things that we say parents are. They're helicopter parents. They're bulldozer parents. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you can be a combination of all those things, and it's mm-hmm. okay as long as it's yep. you know you're not doing one major thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm very mindful about how engaged I am with my kids because I didn't have a father uh, for a long time. I'm very mindful of the fact that, you know, I was brought up by a woman who came from a completely different generation to me. She'd already yeah. raised kids in the 60s and 70s by the time she'd had me. Yeah, right. Um, I'm, I'm really aware of modern technologies and all that sort of stuff and, and what, what I think we are now know to try and keep your kids aware, to communicate with them, to uh, nurture them when they need to be nurtured, to... Actually, but some of that old school disciplinarian stuff that my nan had, not like hitting or anything like that. I'm not an advocate of that, but having strength, no means no. Yeah, I can hear that in what you're saying, you know, the hard no. Hard no. And and they know not to, you know, if they go to, you know, Lisa or they come to me, that oh, can I try this? What did mum say? If she said no, it's a no. Like we're never going to be, you know, disbanded on this front. think it affected your self-confidence, kind of spending part of your childhood with your whole family unit being a certain way and then suddenly realising that that whole foundation had been rocked. How did that affect you to the core, your self-confidence, your self-worth? I struggle with self-worth issues more than anything else. That has run my life with anxiety. That has run my career in anxiety. That has run past relationships, business, personal um, that has caused self-sabotaging, that has caused uh, binge drinking, binge eating, um, that has caused overcompensating with ego on stage or in performances uh, or how I've behaved, um, that has caused a lack of humility because I don't want anyone to see that I'm vulnerable. Um, you know, over the years, I've really struggled with that and I'm getting 
as I'm now maturing and getting older, I can see the path of it all. Now it's sort of, now I've compartmentalized it more. I can see the damage it's done and I can see why it's happened. But, you know, the fact that, and it upsets some people on, on my mother's side of the family, but the fact that I was ostensibly lied to as a child and then told, oh, by the way, here's the truth. And because there was no therapy, and it's not their fault, it's not their fault, but there was no therapy. There was no talk of, should we go to a counsellor? It was 1983, for goodness sake. Um, that was really damaging. And because my instinct was to, as a 10-year-old, to shut down and go, I don't want anything to change. And I can't imagine sitting Leo down and saying, honey, listen, everything you thought was wrong, um, what do you want to do? That was what was asked of me as a 10-year-old. Yeah. They didn't know any better. I'm not judgmental of that. But that set a course in my life of mistrust, of low self-esteem, of not feeling like I was worth anything. And then you put on top of that this incredible career of my dad's, which is nothing short of legendary. And I should be, in a way, a statistic of like, eh, he tried. <laughs> it was good times. Um, but it was really hard, especially when I started to sing and get more famous in my own right as a singer. It's like, well, what does that mean now compared to him? You had the double whammy of living up to that expectation. It wasn't my of- own career. It was everybody going, Jimmy's son's really great too. It's like, ah, oh, how do I deal with this? And that's also wonderful because I'm now so grateful that that heritage is my heritage. It's my family's heritage. And I sort of model that with my kids. So, you know, when my kids, when they're quite young, we sort of, when Leo and the twins in the last year or so, we've had, when they go, oh, you're really famous. But I've had to say, no, I'm not. I interview famous people. I make people happy. But you know who's really famous? Duh. So... When you know, he's the legend and we're just here having normal lives. And I wish somebody had told me about that when I was 15. But I have to play devil's advocate here because you have had the most incredible career and, and, and I will challenge and no say doubt. you are famous and you have forged a very unique and independent path Sure, I'm not telling my kids your own. that, <laughs> <laughs> Um your experiences have shaped that person that you've become and you've gone on to do amazing and wonderful things. And so, you know, I hear you talk negatively about, you know, some of those experiences and that it's challenged your self-worth. But at the same time, it's also helped you build the person that you are and achieve the things that you've achieved. And you've got to give yourself credit for that. I do. I think that there's an interesting way of how I've used my self-worth as a driving mechanism uh, almost like to drive to fill the myself. bucket yeah. of self worth through exactly. achievements, through career. Because I do think it's interesting, and this is also not uncommon, that some of the most public facing people will have the lowest self worth or self esteem and be the highest self critics. And I, I think you know when you're lacking in self confidence and self worth, why are you putting yourself in front of 150 thousand people? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. It is, isn't it? Yeah, but there is. Uh, it, it is also like, and you're right, and you and you're right to pick me up on the fact that I still have that negative voice can control me. Yeah, like it's made you who you are. Yeah, own it. And that's the thing. Part of me is now trying to accept that that's what drives me. 
You know, um, I remember being in New York and being at the Rainbow Room and following Rosemary Clooney in, and then we were selling out and people would walk past me. We'd stand at the front door and I thought, these people are walking past me because they don't know who I am. They just read about me in a newspaper and going, all right, well, I'm going to have to really show them now. And just like yeah. that's sort of like I guess the the Americans would call it moxie or, you know, you know, chutzpah or something like that. But there is a way of using that in a positive, but it can also have a damaging effect personally. How are you taking all these lessons and, you know, all, all this self-work mm. and passing on the bits you want to pass on onto your children and trying to keep the other bits separate? Because that's what we all do, don't we? We all have our demons. We all have our superpowers. I just want to give my kids my superpower and yeah. keep the demons at bay. Well, I think that we have, I mean, I, I was brought up with a lot of oversharers mm-hmm. because of, you know, they were, uh, they're a working class family, no pun intended in Adelaide, but they're also very um, emotionally vulnerable so they would tell me everything. I, I knew a lot of adult talk when I was very young, too much in my opinion. Right. Um, you know, I think raising a child is not a deposition. You don't need to tell your children everything. Yeah. You know, I just- Age appropriate. I also think some stuff is just never any of their business. Yeah. You know, I just think that way. It's the same with relationships. I think that's a Dan Savage thing. A relationship's not a deposition. You don't have to go through every past thing to be yep. the person you are. So for me, when I sat down, I mean, last night, I literally had an issue with Leo who he's, you know, he's doing his last year of year four and he's like already, he was like upset about, it was just late night anxiety that kids sometimes get. And he was like, I, I'm worried about, you know, doing the HSC and then what about university? And I'm like, hey, hey, relax, relax. You're year four. I had to say to him, do you know what? You're going to be fine. We're going to get you through that. And you've got heaps of time. Have fun. And let me tell you something, the HSC, you'll get through it. You'll, you'll do much better than me. I failed it. I told him, I said, I failed it. Um, I said, you know what? I speak to prime ministers, vice presidents. I've met the queen. Do I look like I'm suffering? He goes, no. I said, no, because it's all relative. You'll make this journey whatever you are and we will be here for you no matter what. And so that's what I'm trying to model is the sort of how can you spin this? How can you make life work to your advantage and cut your own path? Because I don't want my kids necessarily to be just like me or my dad or my sisters or whatever. They will be their own thing. And the great joy of having Lisa as a partner and her being so confident and so mindful and so creative and so uh, also socially forward thinking is that these kids are like super confident. You know, they are not like meek kids at all. And so I think that's a good start because I was terribly meek as a child. Were you? Yeah, I was really insecure and meek, probably because of what was happening in the conflict. Then I tried to overcompensate in my teens and that started that trajectory. So if we can build that confidence now where they can speak in front of their class and, you know, look people in the eye, when we used to be able to shake hands, shake hands uh, with an adult, that for me is the most important thing. And, and, you know, manners, you know, for Lisa and I is really important. I want to talk about some dadisms. Go on. I need you to just help me out with a few things here because there's certain dad's behaviour that I just don't get and I'm hoping being a dad you'll be able to help me with it. I'm a very unusual dad, but sure, I'll try. Okay. (laughs) Do you rile the kids up before bed? Because every night Tim uses our bed like a crash mat and just when it's after we brush teeth and I'm trying to get everyone into their right beds and ready for story time, he picks the kids up 
like their, I don't know, like a slam ball, yeah. throws them in the air and slams them down on the bed. It's WrestleMania time. Why? Why do you? Why do dads do that? I don't do that because we struggled with one of our kids sleeping. Oh, so with, with Billy had trouble punished. sleeping. We got, we got hammered. So we had twins and one of them didn't sleep so well. So I didn't do that so much, but we were really mindful and maybe it was too much TV or whatever, but we used to love Giggle and Hoot. And oh, so, yeah. and yeah, so that yeah. would train the kids to sort of slow down. And we oh, because it had that the little story that has the little bedtime. Little Hoot's yeah, lullaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before that was in the night garden where they all would go to bed. Oh, so yeah. Leo used to go say goodnight to all of his toys and then he'd sit there for Hoot's lullaby and then he'd go to bed. I'm like, that's the way to do it. Yeah, you don't oh, wind, right. them, okay. wind them down. All right, Tim, if you're listening, Tim. take note. Tim. Okay. Discipliner in the family. Yeah. Are you Mr. Discipline or are you Captain Fun Time? No, Lisa and I totally swapped those roles. Oh, that's good. Um, we tag in and tag out. Most of the time only one of us likes to discipline. The hardest time for us with the kids is the car. For some reason, that wind-up that you hear is yep. my kids in the backseat of a car. Oh, right. In a five-minute trip, in a five-hour trip, it doesn't matter. And it's never necessarily fighting. They just try and top each other with loudness until we know someone's going to cry. Or someone's going to go stop it, and and so or, and I this is maybe years of gigging, but I can't stand um, loud noises. So if we were in a room together talking, yeah, like at a, an event, yeah, and you were like, let's have a talk, I'd be like, I'd have to really come close to you and focus on you because of just audio. As I'm getting older, is getting a bit difficult. Deaf, Dave. I'm getting come deaf. on, I can hear that I'm in your deaf. voice. Yeah, but so yep. when that happens in the car and I'm driving, I'm like, you guys are going to be quiet. And I get really, and then you start screaming. Stop screaming! Yeah, and I'm not really, I'm not adverse because I was brought up by a screamer as well. I'm not adverse to sort of being like, hey, just a good, solid, militant stop. And we've done that on, because, you know, you're on roads with toddlers like, and I've, Lisa tells this great story that she was going down the main road of Potts Point, and I'm going to say it's probably Billy because he's the fastest. He broke away from the pack and ran towards the the street. And How old? Oh, two or three. Yep. And probably he wanted to press the button. Yeah, yeah. But but there's nothing worse than a toddler heading straight for a busy road. And so her thing was to, you know, always she's got a big, she was a theatre trained uh, person too. So she was like, stop, you know, one of those sort of things. (laughs) And she did that. And the woman in front of her stopped like like midair and Billy stopped too. And Lisa sort of walked past the woman and said, sorry. And it was Leland Chin. (laughs) Oh, you're joking. So she (laughs) Who's also very well trained, Lily Chin, from by parents. She had good parents. <laughs> Obviously, she stopped. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. What about the birds and the bees? Have you had that conversation yet? Have the kids started asking you those questions, or have you prompted it? No, we are not. Um, we're an anatomically correct family, so okay. we talk about the anatomy as no it wieners. Is. There's no wieners. It's like don't leave no your penis jinnies. alone. That's nah, your vagina. You know, all the stuff. Your bottom, whatever. But with Leo, I had to have the start of the puberty talk the other day. How did that go? It was, um, it wasn't birds and beads. It was more like your body's going to change. So, okay. You know, he's a, he's basically nearly your height, size seven shoe. He's 10 years old. Um, so I had to say, mate, you know, let's go for a drive. We'll, we'll go buy some, you know, music or whatever. And I said, look, you know, body's going through some stuff. I thought this kid was going to climb out the window of my car. <laughs> got a bit squirmy when you started it saying so it. It is so squirmy though. How do you have the conversation? I can't, I, I'm a few years off it yet, so I'm trying to learn the pearls of wisdom. I kept it, look, you, and this is a Georgie Gardnerism. So if you take him in the car and you're looking forward, 
they're looking oh, forward. Yeah, it's, it's like the psychologist. It, you lay on the couch. You're it's not, not yeah, confrontational. It's, yeah, okay. It's just like let's have a talk. And the and the doors are locked. And the doors are locked, and you can't get out. And I'm not stopping. We're on a freeway. <laughs> um, but it was it was good because I sort of said, "Hey, mate, your body's going to start changing. You need to sort of be a bit more private about your bathroom times. You're going to get hair. It's going to be weird. Uh, you know, things going to happen at nighttime. All that sort of stuff." I started there and I said, look, you can't get weird about this. No one spoke to me about this. I had to find out myself. So let me know anything that you feel like is is like, what the hell is this? And I'll tell you what it is and I won't lie to you because we need to talk about other things too later on. So let's start here. I'm not going to throw the whole, you know, the whole Yahtzee dice out at you now. I said, let's just start here and then I'm going to have to have the sex talk. And then after that, I'm going to have the porn talk. So I'm going to stagger it oh, out. Oh, wow, you actually said that. No, not with him. Oh, right. No, I okay. said, let's just have this one out because we need to have more. Right, So okay. I want him to sort of, so it was good last night when he said I need to talk to Dad about how I'm feeling about the future and stuff. So I was like, okay, good. Do you think that was as a result of the squirmy car conversation? Do you think even though it was squirmy, it actually kind of got in? Maybe. I don't know, but I did let's say to Lisa. Let's just say yes. Let's just say it was a great parenting moment. I said to Lisa, though, I'll handle the boys, but you're handling me. You're <laughs> yeah, handling Betty. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to go down that road. Yeah, I mean, I've got two of each and yeah, I've, I've said exactly the same. divided evenly. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard you say how important it is to spend time with your kids and I see how devoted you are as a dad, but how do you actually do it all when you have such a public and full work life? I mean, do you have any rituals or habits that you do on a daily basis? Uh, no, and I should do more. Um, I think that I'm on my phone too much, but this has been a dumpster fire of a year and, yeah. you know, we've had to keep up with so much and because I've still been working, it's been my job. But Lisa and I are very aware of that. I, I don't want to speak for her too much, but I know that she also is something, someone that struggles with that. She runs a theatre company she casts major productions and she's doing, you know, being a parent as well. So we definitely co-parent. I'll take the weight of kids in, the, in one afternoon. She'll do it another afternoon. You know, we really do feel like we tag back and forth. And when we are connected as a family, that's really important to us. Um, we're more aware of we don't let our kids have screens that much. That's great. Um, what are your screen rules? Do you have set ones? Well, we have TV, which, you know, as I'm remi- I was reminded by Sonia, she goes, that's a big screen. But I'm like, well, we had that and that's popular culture and that's fine, but no YouTube, yeah. you know. Um, so they can do screens. They can do, you know, lots of music. They can play. Um, they ha- I broke down and let my son have a Nintendo Switch, but not on the internet. But then I will buy them family games. So they all play games together, but they don't. they're not obsessed with it. But I am mindful. I don't think I'm perfect at it. And and when you're a performer and I'm sort of a high-energy performer too, I do have lows. Yeah. And I, I do imagine. feel like sometimes I'm not the greatest dad in the world. And I'm sort of at peace with that as opposed to beating myself up. I just sort of go, so what? I had a bad day. And if I have a bad day, Lisa and I are very mindful. If we barked at the kids for no reason, we'll sit them down and say, sorry I yelled. And often if I yell, even if I'm telling them off, I'll sit them down and say, I'm sorry I yelled, but that's not acceptable behaviour. But I shouldn't have yelled. And I think it's really good to be accountable for your actions. Apology goes a long way with kids. Final question for us parents that are working hard, we're trying hard to raise healthy, happy kids, we're trying hard to keep our relationships alive, afloat. What's one 
ritual that you guys as a family do that you think helps boost your relationship both with Lisa and just as a family unit? Lisa and I, you know, when we could go on date nights, we would do that once a week. Um, but as a family, we do things like we have traditions. They, they go to do karate together or they go to beach soccer together and we all go. Um, and then if we, you know, we tend to walk the dog. That's been really good for the kids. You know, having Scully has been amazing. Turning off the TV and just playing music. Uh, allowing sometimes the kids to watch TV at dinner time and then other times I just play music from my phone and we talk. You know, it's little things. It's not, And bedtime is always the same time. We don't compromise bedtime. The twins are at 6.45, Leo's at 7.30. But they get a story before bed. Leo's allowed to have his own TV time before bed. But then it's like quiet time, go to sleep. And that's it. Those rules have to stay in shape. And they, they never bend from that. But really it's about trying to have as much fun as possible. I mean, my kids do make a lot of fun. Yeah. They make a lot of noise. In between the screaming and the meltdowns, they're actually fun, aren't they? Yeah, and it's really good. I I often catch myself and go, watch this moment because you will cry about this moment in five years' time. Um, Or don't just take a photo of it. Just sit there and watch them. And sometimes we'll just sit there and watch them watching TV. My kids will watch TV on the couch all crammed together with their heads on each other. Oh, I'm like, that's so beautiful. How much longer will this last? Don't touch them. Let them, what, I don't want magic. Is it SpongeBob? Let, know, let this keep I happening. Know. You just have to slow down for those moments, don't you? Yeah. And just cherish those and if you, moments. I think if you do that, and Lisa and I are constantly checking in on each other. I mean, I'll let you know, I had a panic attack yesterday. Did just you? Just out of nowhere. And you know what was hilarious about it? Lisa wrote me a list of things at the shops to go get. And she said, there's only four things. It was like this, 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 this. And she goes, I'm going to put the tofu on there too. You'll forget the tofu because you'll get crazy. And I had to take Leo to Maths Club. I had the twins with me. I'd been, I had a busy day. And the twins just got to the Woolies and it was just one of those days they just went those ways. Both, both different opposite ways. Opposite directions. And they were like, look at this over here and look at this over here. And then I got home and I forgot the tofu. And I, Lisa got home and I just was like, I can't believe it of all the things, and it was just a straw. And she sat there and, and I said to my friend, I, this is a really nerdy thing, but she said, I said to my buddy, um, she basically did um, Scarlett Johansson to the Hulk in the Avengers. It's okay, oh. big guy. The sun's going down. Oh, my It's going to be fine. And I was like, just, and, I, and the, I could feel the energy rising. And I was like, I just don't know why I'm crying over tofu all of a sudden. And then she's like, it's fine. Oh. It's fine. Have a cup of tea. And I'm like, have a cup of tea. She goes, let's order in. It's okay. And I'm like, I think that'll be best. And it was just like. That's a good one. And it was just like, but then I've had to do that with her as well. And it's just, it's, and I have to, and I felt really bad. And then I thought, it's okay. It's okay. And it was within 15 minutes, I was fine. But I have to acknowledge the fact that I'm not a perfect dad. It looks a certain way, but I'm just not. But I'm a perfect dad for these kids and that'll be fine. And you know, I did a great episode with a beautiful educator called Kayleen Harry. And I remember she said to me that you only have to be good 30% of the time. Yeah. And I loved that. I thought she was going to say 80% or 90%. I'm That's like, That's really okay, good. I can do 30. I can do 30. If I can avoid two out of my three kids doing extensive therapy later in life, <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> oh, David, it's been great. I can't wait to read Stupid Carrots to my kids and have them draped all over me and them as we sit there and go through the book. I hope they eat their carrots. Oh, I'll make sure they do. It's a hard no. You cannot leave that table until you eat those stupid carrots. That's the way you do it. (laughs) Thanks, DC. Thanks. 
Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Sound production by Matt Nicklich. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au. If you like my podcast or think other mums might find it helpful, please spread the word by sharing a link to your network of fellow mums. And feel free to drop me a line on Instagram anytime. I'd love to hear from you.